You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. This morning, I get the pleasure of continuing on our Awakening series. And I love this series because it's so true, and it's true for my life, is that every generation needs their own encounter with Jesus. If we want to see revival sweep across our city, if we want to see thousands and thousands of people come to know him as Lord and Savior, we first need to encounter him ourselves as Lord and Savior. We first need to have him come and, and do something in our own lives before we can see him do it in others. And so this morning, I'm going to expand on that. You know, this, for me, this is part of my story. I'm a, I'm a church kid, uh, born and raised in a pastor's household. And so for me, myself, I needed my own encounter when I left, left my parents' household uh, of Jesus myself before I could ever see it happen in someone else. And so we're going to keep exploring that this morning. Um, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to just jump right in for what God has for us. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for the gift of gathering together, Lord, that... Um, Man, we, we have a, such a privilege to live in this country. We celebrate it. And the, the fact that today we literally get to gather together under no oppression, under, under, under no restraints, it's completely free. And so we thank you for that. We celebrate that. We know that's a gift and a blessing from you. And Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is truth. And Lord, would you reconcile us to your truth? Lord, we value it above almost anything else. Lord, we love your truth. We love what you revealed to us. And so God, would it speak to us this morning? And Jesus, would you have your way? God, we thank you that your agenda is always for our better, that it says right before you fed the 5,000 that you got out of the boat, you saw the crowds, and you had compassion on them, and you healed them. And your compassion has not waned in any way. And so we thank you for your compassion this morning, that you love us so much, and that you're here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, in the theme of July 4th, I figured I'd start with a share, uh, share a story of, of the, the first time I realized that fireworks were really for only people over the age of 18 years old. I uh, grew up in Minnesota. I moved around a lot, but spent a lot of time in Minnesota. And my grandparents had this hobby farm in Wisconsin. And I don't like Wisconsin for a lot of reasons, but they do have nice lakes and trees. Um, and so my, 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 my grandparents had a hobby farm about 16 acres just across the border into Wisconsin. And so for every year, for about seven or eight years, my family on July 4th weekend, we would travel up to Wisconsin and we would celebrate 4th of July. And obviously, you know, my grandparents, it's a, it, uh, they're there. It's a nice place. They had a beautiful home and a big old pool barn. And like, not only was it 16 acres of woods, but like four or five acres of manicured lawn. I mean, it was, it was a playground. But Wisconsin also had fireworks. They were legal there. For whatever reason, Minnesota got it wrong. And they, you could actually buy firecrackers, bottle rockets, the big mortars, all of the things that you could ever want and hope for as a 13-year-old boy. Uh, they're in fireworks. They sold them in Wisconsin. And those, those are the fireworks, you know, for a long time, they were illegal here. And they're finally legal in the last few years, praise the Lord. Um, and so we can actually celebrate it in the appropriate way. Um, but we would go there, and I would, my birthday is June 17th, and so I would save out half my birthday money, the greatest income source that I had as a kid, uh, and, and apply it and spend it on fireworks. I would literally watch my money burn before my eyes. It was amazing. I dropped like $75 every year. And one year we went, you know, I, 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 um, we went up there with my family and my dad invited a friend, a family, a friend with us. And we went up there, um, I buy just like bottle rockets, firecrackers, you know, the snaps, the pops, like all the, like, the little kid stuff. And, um, but my parent, my parents and then my parents' friends would buy the big stuff. I would leave it for them to buy that stuff because it was like, you know, hundreds of dollars. And my dad's friend spent so much that year that he got a bonus of this really big kind of square. Uh, it was kind of like a Roman candle-esque firework. He would shoot a couple hundred shots at once. And so we were like excited. This is going to be our grand finale. And so July 4th came. 
And we've been lighting off fireworks like crazy, having a good time. Um, by, the, by the end of the night, it was 11 o'clock. We had tons of pop and candy and sugar and lots of fireworks. But the atmosphere around my grandparents' home was thick with smoke. I and mean, we'd lit off hundreds and hundreds of dollars of fireworks. And we go to light off this final firework. You know, the, the atmosphere still smells like the sulfur as my dad's friend goes down and he, he sets down this, this firework, uh, this like big box, and he lights the fuse. And we watch the spark go up, into, uh, all the way up the fuse and into the fireworks. And we, we hear a boom and we look up in the sky and we don't see anything. And we look back down at the firework and hear another boom. And this time, we actually do see something, but it's, it's the fireworks are going straight away from us into the woods. The firework had been placed upside down and then shot, kicked itself over. And not only was it starting to shoot in the woods, but we realized with every shot, it was turning every so slightly, like a Gatling gun. And so it started to pick up. In about three to five seconds, I don't know how long it was, it started to turn towards us. And so we all, we all began running like as fast as we could. And I remember this moment, I look back and I see this firework and it's, it's traveling, you know, at, at the speed of fireworks do. And it, it actually shoots in my direction and hits me in the back. And I'm looking back and I see this like glowing orange orb right behind me. And thankfully it just, you know, it hit me and bounced off. But my dad, he thought that I was on fire. And so he threw me to the ground trying to put out the fire. And it was just like wild experience. But in the midst of all of us in fear running, my dad's friend, he had the courage to do what you should have done. Instead of running away from the fireworks, you're right towards it. He kicked it upright, and then we were able to watch the rest of the fireworks go into the air. And one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had with fireworks. But that morning, or that, that evening, I learned why we only sell fireworks to people over the age of 18. They're innately dangerous. Kids don't have a proven track record of being responsible with fire and explosives or accelerants. They just don't. And, you know, we as a society, we do this a lot with different materials and different activities. We restrict it based off people's age or their ability or oftentimes, in a lot of ways, poor past performance. It makes sense. We don't want we don't want everyone to have fireworks. We don't want to give a five-year-old the opportunity to buy firecrackers. And also, we don't want to give everyone the opportunity to, to buy alcohol. Or not everyone should own a firearm. Or not everyone should have access to elementary schools. Like, we get this as a society. We restrict people's access to things, um, oftentimes based off their ability or their age, but more often than not, off their, their past behavior, their past history. And that's fair. It makes sense. In a consequence system, a behavior consequence system, this keeps us functioning as a society. It's healthy. If you punch somebody in the face, you should go to jail. We all understand this. But in this behavior consequence system where we've learned and we've been a part of it and it, it makes sense in this broken human society, we're all fallen individuals, it keeps the boundaries and the lids on for appropriate behavior. But if we take that same mentality and we apply it to our relationship with the Lord, we start to get in all sorts of trouble. Because what works really well for, uh, you know, two broken people or society full of fallen people doesn't make as much sense in relationship with a holy and perfect God. See, if we start to take these behavior consequence mentalities and restrictions and apply our, them on ourselves in, light, in our relationship with the Lord, it can lead us down a dark path. And this is how a behavior consequence system could play out that I, in our relationship with the Lord that I want to kind of present to you. It's, it's happened to me many times. It's a scenario I'm going to play out. It's maybe, maybe it's happened to you. But we end, up, we end up applying consequences to our own behavior and our relationship with the Lord when it's really not our place to do that. And so imagine this. I, last night I was out at fireworks watching uh, Jack Trice. And so we stayed up pretty late. You know, I guess when you have a kid, 10.30 is really late. 
But we stayed up pretty late. And imagine I go to sleep and I wake up and I was planning to get up at 5.30, but instead I, the alarm went off at 7 and I said it wrong. And so I wake up and I'm, I'm in a hurry and I already realized, man, I've lost so much time. I'm behind. And so I, and this is, this is hypothetical. This is not happening this morning. But I, I'm behind. And so when I get up right away, my anxiety level is high. My stress levels are high. I'm running around rushing, trying to get things in order so I can get to church on time. I want to be with my friends. I want to be at church. And in the process, I realized that I, I'm in such a rush. I don't have time to make coffee. And so now I have a caffeine headache. And in the process, I realized I can't eat food. I can't eat breakfast. And so I'm angry and I'm on edge. So not only am I stressed, anxious, I'm tired from last night, I, I have a ha- caffeine headache and I'm hungry. All of those things happen and then boom, I snap. I snap on somebody. I snap on my kid or I snap on my wife. If you're single, you snap on your roommate and you don't apologize. You're in a hurry. And so we just, we just you know, we, we get everyone in the car, we get, in the, we get on the road and we start driving to church to make sure we're here on time. And in that moment of driving to church, you start to feel convicted. You're like, oh yeah, I probably... I probably shouldn't have acted that way. Like, that wasn't appropriate. And you, we, we start to kind of bring ourselves down a, a, a path where we really start to feel bad. And that, that's, a, that's an okay path to begin because we know godly sorrow leads to repentance. But not everyone and not every time do we, do we actually end up in that place of godly sorrow. We actually will sometimes come to church feeling convicted, feeling bad. We step into this, we step into this room with our smiling faces on because we don't want people to realize that I snapped at my wife or snapped at my kids this morning. We step into this place of worship, smiling, thinking that everything, or trying to make everyone think that we're doing great. But on the inside, we're feeling deeply convicted, feeling upset, and we feel horrible for how we wronged someone that morning. And then we enter into the presence of God corporately as a body. And it's an amazing experience. And in that moment, we have an opportunity to either lean into the presence of God, let godly sorrow lead to repentance, which is a great place to begin worshiping out of repentance, or we can pull back. Or we can, we can let the moment slip by because we, we feel like in a behavior consequence system that our behavior has now disqualified us from experiencing the presence of God in some way. That our behavior somehow has changed God's opinion of us. And so church comes and goes. The worship is great. There's an encouraging prophetic word that we don't think applies to us, and so we, don't, we just kind of set it aside. The message comes and goes, and we walk out of here completely unchanged without encountering the Lord. And that is a sad place to be. But this morning, I want to I approach that mentality, and this can happen for a wide variety of things that we, we would call bad behavior, what we call sinful. But I want to I I address that, that mentality and address this behavior consequence system like we, that we like to apply to our relationship with the Lord with a healthy dose of truth. And it's this, our standing with God, our access to God, his opinion of us is not based on our behavior. It's based on blood. Our standing with God is not based on our behavior. It is based on blood. Either we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus or we haven't. Either God has declared us us unclean because of the stain of sin that has permanently stained our souls, or he's declared us clean by the perfect and complete work of Jesus on the cross and his blood shed for us. As a result of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, our access to God and his presence is not functioning off a, a behavior reward or behavior consequence system. It is solely based on the blood of Jesus. And we know this to be true. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Romans 5.8.9, it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. We've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus, not by our own good or bad behavior. 
Now, I want to put a caveat here because many people will go, Alex, you're, you're getting close to heresy. This is greasy grace. And no, this is not a license to sin. God's opinion of you is solely based on the blood of Jesus. But the Bible says a lot about our behavior. God does not want us to have bad behavior. He wants us to flee from sin. We need to put away our old simple lives and run towards a life of righteousness in response to God's love for us. And this also doesn't negate the, the, the universal law of sowing and reaping. If you drive a race car into a brick wall, you will feel the consequences of hitting that brick wall. So it does not negate that. God will not be mocked, it says in James. We will sow what we reap. But what this truth does mean is that the, we often discount the sufficiency of Christ's blood in our lives. And we put too much emphasis on the behavior of ourselves or on the behavior of other people and not enough emphasis on the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus alone, and this is going to sound repetitive, but for me, I had to drill this into my life for years and years and years until I fully understood that God's opinion of me was only based on Jesus' finished work. But the blood of Jesus alone can remove the stain of sin, not our behavior. The blood of Jesus alone can make us right in God's sight, not our behavior. The blood of Jesus alone allows a person in the presence of God, not our behavior. And the blood of Jesus alone prepares us to be a proper dwelling place for Holy Spirit, not our behavior. So this gets me to my main goal this morning, and then we're going to dive into the chunk of Scripture that I want us to pull some truth out of. But this, this is the point, and you'll get, some of you will know Scripture well enough, you know where I'm, right where I'm going. But who are we to declare something unclean if God has made it clean? Who are we to declare something unclean if God has made it clean? Who are we to come into a situation like this, experience the presence of God, and go, oh, I'm not clean, I'm not worthy? When the actual reality is that the blood of Jesus has made you clean. If we understood this fully in our lives, it would dramatically change how we view ourselves and how we view other people. In Acts 10 and 11, we see this phrase come up in Scripture, in, in God communicating to the Apostle Peter. In Acts 10, um, is this amazing story unfolding where Peter goes to the house of a Gentile. And for, the, for the first time, we see the, the, the opportunity for redemption to happen in the, the Gentile people blown wide open. And they experience the gospel and they experience Holy Spirit. And chapter 10 is really good. There's a lot of amazing details. Um, and and uh, many people believe that's why there's actually two chapters, Acts 10 and Acts 11, that are focused on this because this was such a radical shift in how the church operated. But Acts 10 is also like 46 verses long, so we're not going to read that. We're going to read this nice recap in Acts 11. And Acts 11 is Peter recapping. He's recounting the story of when he went to the home of a man named Cornelius. And he was a Roman a general, a Roman centurion. He, he was a Gentile. He did fear God, but he was not of Jewish blood or Jewish origin. And when he went to this home, he went in, he ate, in with, he ate with them, he went to his home, which would have been, this, at this time would have been like ceremonially unclean. We weren't supposed to, Jews weren't supposed to affiliate with Gentiles. And so when he got back to where the other Jewish believers were, they started to question him. And they're like, why did you do this? What was going on? And so that's where we pick up in Acts 11, verses 1 through 10. It says this. Uh, we'll read through 1 through 10, and we'll take a quick break. And you can see, hopefully you can see it on the screen behind me. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You have entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. I was in the town of Joppa, he said. And while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky. And it came right down to me. 
When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure unclean. But the voice spoke from heaven again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Three t- this happened three times before the sheet and all it w- all contained was pulled up back into heaven. Now, verse nine, it's where, you, where you, we see this saying: "Do not something, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean." Now, before we go on and read the rest of the story, which is an amazing story of God just opening up the scope of, of His redemptive plan for all of humanity, I want us to stop and understand if we really got this. How would it change opinion of ourselves? How it radically shift how we see ourselves? Think back to that, that, that stereotypical or that, that normal morning where we're running behind, that situation I set up. See, in those moments, we often throw judgment on ourselves in the place of God. We tell ourselves that our standing with God has now been shifted because we are now unworthy of his presence for some reason because of our behavior. We declare ourselves a sinner even while God calls us saints. He declares our, he declare, we declare ourselves unclean before him while he has made us clean. Now, I've, again, we've, I've, we're going to hit on this a lot this morning, but this is part of my testimony. This is part of my story. I've been a Christian since I was about four or five years old. I grew up in a, a pastor's household, and I'm so thankful for that experience. I got to live in such a place of peace and a place of God's presence my whole life. But this did not, growing up in that household did not pull me away from or prevent me from experiencing sin in my life and the negative consequences that manifest from sin in my life. See, for years, I struggled with secret sin. It dominated my life behind closed doors. And I, I felt the guilt and shame that came along with it. I hated the sin. I didn't like it. I didn't want it to be in my life, but I felt powerless to it. So shame and self-condemnation became my prison. But at the same time, I was still hungry for God. But many times when I would come into places like this, I would find myself thinking that God doesn't want to be with me because of my sin. That it has somehow changed his opinion of me. And many times I would intentionally pull myself away from the presence of God because of the shame I had stemming from my own imperfections. My shame caused me to be in a place of spiritual intimacy and being powerless to sin. It reject, I rejected my rightful place in God's presence and close relationship with him. It caused me to not recognize Holy Spirit's voice in my life. It caused me to deny God's affections for me. And obviously none of those reactions to that sin in my life helped me. None of those beliefs were positive. I was in a spiral. I was a follower of Jesus and I had massive behavioral and shame and guilt issues. But at the same time, there's this paradox because the blood of Jesus was still declaring me clean. I myself was declaring something unclean that God had already made clean. Now, thankfully, the Lord pulled me out of this. I, was, I came to college and I was placed in a community of people who actually believed what God said about me in Scripture was true. God shifted my focus from my behavior to Jesus' blood. God showed me that I could boldly approach the throne of grace regardless of where I was in my life. God revealed to me that I was truly at home in his presence regardless of what I did that morning. I learned that God made me clean through Jesus' blood and not my behavior. Now, if that story applies to you at all and where you're at today or you've experienced in the past, I have good news for you. If you've given your life to Jesus, God has made you clean. He declares you as 
clean. Yes, God hates the sin in your life. You should be violent towards that sin. You should let the sorrow you feel lead to repentance. But the Holy Spirit still chooses to dwell in you. You have not revoked that guarantee of your salvation. You can boldly approach the throne of grace and you have not been left out of God's blessing of his presence. We need to stop declaring as a people ourselves unclean when God has made us clean. Now let's move on because that's how it affects how we see ourselves, but it blows open the door on how we should change our opinion of other people. In Acts 11, 11 through 18, uh, Peter goes on, he, just, he describes the rest of this encounter with Cornelius. So just then, three men, and this is after, G, after uh, Peter had this vision of the sheet coming up and down, up and down, with the things being clean and unclean. Just then, three men that had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. In the background, um, the man Cornelius, this Roman general, had, had actually had an angel come visit him and said, go, send, uh, go find Simon Peter in the town of Joppa. So he sent some messengers. And then the Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they are Gentiles. These six brothers, which Peter's appointing to six Jewish brothers, here accompanied me, accompanied me. And we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home. And he to had told them, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us, on us in the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Now, this is really good news, and this is radical for the time in which Peter lives. See, the gospel originally was only received by the Jewish people out of the outset. It was not yet common at this point for non-Jews to become believers. Again, these non-Jews in the, in the minds of the early, early Jewish believers, they were not yet a part of God's redemptive plan in the perspective of the Jews. People outside of the Jewish heritage were Gentiles. They were regarded often as unclean. They could, Jews couldn't enter their homes. They couldn't even eat with them. But as, Holy, as Peter was there, he, entered, he actually entered into their home, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they began speaking in tongues and praising God. God had made clean what was once considered unclean. God's intentions here for all of humanity to be made clean become so incredibly clear. First, he sends an angel to a Gentile to find Peter. Then Peter gets a specific vision about how God was making the unclean clean. And then the Holy Spirit tells Peter to go, to, uh, to go with Cornelius' men. Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he enters into the home of a Gentile, unthinkable. Then he shares the gospel, and while he's sharing, the Holy Spirit hits. Now Holy Spirit, who, who, who is a holy and perfect God, he is part of the, 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 the Trinity, he himself is perfect, makes union with the, these Gentiles. He comes and makes a dwelling place with these Gentiles, and they're hit with the power of the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues, and it's so apparent to Peter, who is a Jew, who has these biases, that he goes, who am I to stand in the way of God? And he baptizes them in water. So what would have, once would have been horrid and awful, in the sight of ceremonial Jewish law, God now declares as clean. God made clean what was formerly unclean. So clean that he lets them host the very presence of God. So clean that he makes them a dwelling place for God. And this, mean that the, this means that the same truth 
that they have been made right in God's sight by Jesus' blood that once originally people thought only applied to the Jews now applies to the Gentiles as well. Now for us, we, we interpret this as that there is no longer any restrictions on those who can be made right in God's sight by Jesus' blood. There's no restriction on, on those who can be washed by Jesus' blood and enter into the presence of God. This is true regardless of who the person is, regardless of their ethnicity, their age, their gender, their family background, their previous religious experiences, and even it's true of their sinful past and their sinful present. This is the exact moment in Scripture where God confirmed his desire to be in relationship with all people. All people now have the opportunity to boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. God confirmed that he was giving all people access to his presence through the, the blood of Jesus. There are no longer restrictions on those who can be washed by Jesus' blood. None. And there are no longer restrictions on those who can enter God's presence. All are included in God's redemptive plan. So I told you, if we, we understand that what God, if we understand the truth that we should stop declaring what is unclean, even though now that God has declared it or made it clean, it would change how we view ourselves and how we view others. Because in our natural state, without being conformed to the image of Christ, we have a tendency to disqualify not only ourselves, but disqualify others from encountering the presence of God and being in a relationship with them based off their behavior or their outward appearance of their life. This is what the early, Testament, early New Testament believers did. This is what the Jews did to the Gentiles. They didn't naturally want to share the gospel with those who weren't part of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish nation. They had, their, they had restrictions, um, sorry, the restrictions of the old covenant they thought still applied to the new covenant. They didn't believe that all people could be in relationship with God. They kept declaring something unclean that God was making clean. So we may not actively think like those, 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 old, or those New Testament, early New Testament uh, Jewish believers, but our beliefs sometimes can manifest in our actions. How many times have we avoided opportunities to minister to somebody because we know what their behavior is like? How many times have we let people pass through our lives completely uninterrupted with the gospel because we make assumptions about how they live or how they believe? Our beliefs about people need to shift because of the blood of Jesus. Now all are included in God's redemptive plan. All can have the opportunity to be made clean in God's sight. There is no stain of sin that is too strong for Jesus' blood not to wash away. My own spiritual heritage and my, my, my spiritual legacy that I come from, it hinges on this truth. On a few people who understood the power of the blood of Jesus in someone's life. See, my grandfather and grandmother, they came from incredibly abusive and broken homes. Like, just the stories, they're, they're horrible. And so their lives followed that natural broken path. And at the age of 16, they had a kid out of wedlock. They, one of my grandma ran away from home. They went to jail multiple times. They began experimenting in the, in the 1960s and 70s with drugs and alcohol and full on a part of that hippie movement. And they watched their whole family, all of their family members go down this same lifestyle. But through the, the, the faithfulness of a praying aunt and through those who believed that the blood of Jesus could wash them clean, they were invited into a church called the Jesus People Church where they encountered the presence of God for the first time. And their lives were changed because the blood of Jesus washed them clean. And now me, 45 years later, I'm living in that legacy because someone else saw the potential of the Jesus' blood washing them clean. This is true for everybody. 
not just my grandparents, not just people in this room, for everyone. Every quirky, eccentric family member we have can be made clean. Every friend on social media who thinks politically opposite of us can be made clean by the blood of Jesus. Every coworker that frustrates us, who slacks off and is disrespectful, can be made by, clean by the blood of Jesus. And every student on the campus of Iowa State, every wild, eccentric, biblically illiterate, Jesus-mocking, sin-celebrating student can be made clean and have access to God's presence through the power of the blood of Jesus. Worship team, would you come? We need to awaken to this reality of the wildly inclusive nature of God's redemptive plan for humanity. We need to awaken to this reality that we need to stop declaring unclean that God has made clean. And so and for us, what I want us to do as a church is to respond to this word. So if you guys would bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to give an opportunity for those who may be here this morning that have not yet given their lives to Jesus. This is the good news, man. This is so joyful. This should change your life. Every person in this room, if, you, if, you've, if you've not given your life to Jesus, you have the opportunity to have your sin washed completely away by the blood of Jesus. Jesus saw us in our sin and our mire, knowing we could never change our lives on our own, and he came down from heaven, and he lived life among us, and he, then he submitted himself to death, even though he lived a perfect life, and allowed the punishment for humanity to be laid upon him on that cross. And then he died, but then he rose again three days later, inviting us into relationship with him. So this morning, if you have not given your life to Jesus or if you're joining us online, um, this, is, this opportunity extends to you as well. Would you raise your hand? I would love to pray with you. Is there anyone here that would like to give their life to Jesus this morning? Awesome. And if you're online, and you, uh, there'll, be a, uh, there'll be a number that pops up, up below the screen. And you can respond if you're, if you're um, you go ahead and text that number if you're responding in, to, to Jesus this morning. But if you, pray, if you lifted your hand or even if you didn't, just pray in your heart like this. And this has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with this room, and everything to do with you and the Lord. You pray something like this. Jesus, I recognize my sin. I recognize my mistakes in life. And I know it disqualifies me from relationship with you. But this morning, I ask forgiveness of my sins. I recognize your perfect work on the cross and that you are Lord and that you resurrected from the grave, inviting me into life and relationship with you. And so this morning, I declare you are Lord of my life. I surrender it to you. And I thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes me clean. I thank you that I no longer look at myself in shame and guilt, but I, I, I look at myself knowing that I've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Amen. For the rest of you guys, if you want to stand up, we're going to go into a song of worship. And I just want to pray over us as a church that this is, this is like the most basic elementary thing. Like this is not hard to understand but that we would be awakened to the power of Jesus' blood, the incredible power that it can wash away the stain of sin on any person that was once made them unclean has now can make them clean. And so I want to pray for us that we'd be awakened to that reality, that Jesus would set our hearts on fire for those that we see who have not yet been made clean by the blood of Jesus. Because the opportunity is there. It's free. All we have to do is just give them it. We just have to tell them about it. And that's it. So I want to pray that we would respond to this, not only for other people, but in our own lives that we would stop declaring ourselves as unclean. We'd stop coming to these rooms and disqualifying ourselves from experiencing God because of our sin. Instead, recognizing that we ourselves have been made clean. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for these people. Lord, I thank you for what you've done in their life. Jesus, that your perfect redemptive work, the blood of Jesus has washed them clean. That you no longer, just, you no longer speak over them sinner, you speak over them saint. That they are sanctified. 
that they are perfect, made perfect by the blood of Jesus. That when you see them, you no longer see sin, you see Jesus' blood and the righteousness of God. And Lord, I pray that that reality would sink in in every one of our lives. Lord, that we no longer, yes, we run from sin, we get rid of it, but we no longer disqualify ourselves, knowing that the perfect qualification was was done by the work of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, I also pray that we would recognize that this same work that has perfected us, that has washed us away, washed us sin away in our life, we would recognize that is for every person we see. That we, we recognize that every person in our life has the opportunity to encounter this love, to encounter this, this amazing work of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, would you allow us to see them like you do? That you, that you, would had, you had gone out of your way from heaven, you sent your perfect son to die on a cross for them. Would you allow us to realize that this morning? Would we awaken to that reality? Lord, I pray that in my own heart, Lord, I repent of the times I've let people come in and out of my life uninterrupted by the gospel, of how I've refused to minister to people because of what I assumed about them. Lord, we repent of those things and we say yes to what you want to do in the hearts of people because you know what you can do in their hearts. In Jesus' name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.